Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Today's episode features Holden Shepard. If any of you know Holden Shepard, he is completely himself all the time, which is why we love him. But that also means there's a little bit of coarse language. Welcome to another Words and Nerds episode where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Joining me today is the most excellent Holden Shepard. Holden is the author of Invisible Boys, which won multiple accolades, including the 2019 West Australian Premier's Prize for an Emerging Writer, and the 2018 City of Fremantle Hungerford Award. In 2020, Invisible Boys was shortlisted for the Victorian Premier's Literary Award and was named a notable book by the Children's Book Council of Australia. The novel is now in development as a TV series. That's pretty exciting. Today, we're talking about Holden's second novel, The Brink. You can also catch him on Words and Nerds on episode 194 and the most listened to takeover, 389. It's no secret. And I'm a massive fan of Holden's writing, his Twitter posts, his gym selfies, and his inappropriate sense of humour. Welcome, Holden. Good day, Danny. Uh, what an intro! Thank you for having me back, um, especially after that uh, the the the, uh, the takeover from hell. Well, um, it's infamous there. It is. Yeah, me and Grant just just came in, ran amok, and somehow we got away with it. So thanks well, for having you, me back for an actual you more podcast. Than got a, you more than got away with it. Like, it was the most listened to takeover of 2021. So oh, that's pretty good. The numbers don't lie, Holden, so. <laughs> yeah, look, what can we say? We're bank. We're, we're bankable. Because I reckon authenticity is really important, right? And you put on, you know, you see Instagram and everyone's got their filters on and whatever, whatever. And mm. you're just kind of real and you kind of just, well, I feel like the perception is you just don't really care what people think of you as long as you've got your tribe and the people who do love you. If there's someone who, some random person who doesn't like Holden Shepherd and his gym selfies, you're like, who cares? Yeah, pretty much. Like it, it, it's actually a pretty liberating place to be in when you get to that point of, of, uh, of realising, like it's just kind of like, Okay, people like that can't hurt me. Yeah, you know, like, like people who have a problem with, like, I remember having an argument with someone um, once, and and it kind of, I was like, okay, what's the issue here? You know, like, it was if it was someone I'm related to, and I was like, okay, what's the issue? And it was kind of like, oh, you know, I don't like this thing about you, and I was like, that's the issue. Like, that's the argument. You don't like an aspect of my like how I am, like my personality. Like, I like myself. I like who I am. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of like, I don't think we have an argument here. I think mm. you just don't like me and that's fine. Like mm. you don't have to like me. Um, but it, like, just when you get to that point where you're like, I don't, I don't really mind. Um, it just makes life a lot easier and a lot happier when you can just rock up and be like, Hey, here I am. Some people yeah. will really love it. Some people will really hate it. Um, and most people won't give a shit. Um, which <laughs> we kind of learned There's a quote from Alanis Morissette. Uh, her, her father told her that before she like became a rock star. And I just think that's true for like entering any field 
if you're in the public eye, you know, like so you'll, you'll find people who are your fans and they're your tribe and they're your supporters and, and you'll probably feel the same way about them. You know, like there's so many writers who it's so reciprocal, you know, mm. you're one of them, you know, like it, we just, you know, we vibe and we get it and we support yeah. each other. And some people you just like, well, wow, we really don't like each other at all. <laughs> um, but, but most people generally, like, it's just really hard to get anyone to care about you at all. Right. Mm. Like, like it, you know, you have a book out and you're like, I just, <laughs> I want people to care. And you know, most people don't. Most people actually do not buy your book. Um, most people don't <laughs> care about it. So you've got to make as much noise as you can. Yeah, exactly. We're talking about this off air because, you know, you should be celebrating the month of your book, and I'm sure you are, but there's so much of a grind to it. And it's certainly not a complaint because it's enjoyable, but it's always like, what can I do next? What can I do next? Because the sad fact is, you're right, no one cares that we've written a book. <laughs> <laughs> It's so depressing to put it like that, Danny. But it's when kind I of say funny. no one, not no one, like lots of people do care. But when you're trying to get media and stuff, they're like, "So what? We've got some other story here with a celebrity, blah blah blah." So you're right. Yeah, it's hard to make noise. So you just have to keep, keep grinding. And the writers' community is so supportive of each other. So that is such a win. And you just gotta, okay. yeah, keep going. And you know what? The work speaks for itself. You know, like the brink is going to be amazingly successful because it's a bloody great book oh thank you that's really cool to hear it's um it's only been this last you know since the book came out which is not very long at all um that i've started to hear people on mass kind of reading it and commenting on it and um i i genuinely didn't really believe this would happen like mm-hmm. i kind of i was really readying myself for oh okay yeah he was a one-trick pony and he had you know, uh, one book and it's only, you know, he's only able to write that book because it was a trauma porn book about his own struggles. Um, and, you know, what could he possibly do that would even kind of slightly stack up against the first one? I was, I was really uh, quite in my head about mm-hmm. you know, there's no way to better or, or, or even follow up the first one. Um, so I was ready for this book to come out and for kind of some kind of terrifying resounding thud you know, wow, yeah, it's interesting yeah, how really... your brain works. Hey, it's like, no, no, I can't do this twice. Come on. But you have like Invisible Boys. I, I've told you this before. Is, like, I mm. couldn't stop reading. It was phenomenal. It was nothing that I, I'd read before. I think, you know, we need a really honest, raw book about these things. And that's exactly what that was. And you bought some of those elements into the brink, but it's also a very different book too. Yeah, I wanted to... Um... I think with the brink, I really felt like I wa- I wanted to prove that I can write a book, you know, like it, like I'm not just here to fictionalize the the traumatic upbringing that I had. I I can actually weave a plot. I can write a thriller and a coming of age story, and I can write, you know, like Mason is the gay character in this story, the the gay point of view character. But actually, I can also write Leonardo, who's a straight guy. I can mm. also write Kaya, who's a straight girl. Yeah. And I wanted. I think I. I didn't kind of do it really consciously, but I think underlying, you know, the process of writing this book was kind of like, let me prove to you that, um, sure, I'm a I'm a gay writer and I've done that and I was pigeonholed as that, but I'd actually like to be known as an author. Full stop. Yeah. I'd actually like to be known as someone who is an Aussie writer who can write a really cracking book, and I want to be seen as you know and, and appreciated on the merits of my writing. Yeah, and look, honestly, not only the story was good, like I loved your writing and I've read so many books, Holden, and I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I feel like I I can pick up where there's really good writing and some of your lines I just loved. One of them was, it was really quite sad but says a lot, my mother's ashes don't talk back. I thought that was really powerful. 
Mm. And the other one, which I think is almost tattoo worthy, fuck their rules, Pluto. If you want to be a planet, you are. <laughs> I love that from Mason. Yeah. It's um it's just such a rebellious but also like self-actualizing line that, you know, the world might not be ready for who I am and the world might have categories for who I am, but you know what? Fuck them. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to self-define and I'm going to be really happy in who I am. Yeah. And I love impact. that so much because I think we've all had to apologise for who we are in life, you know, whether we've been in that kind of relationship or with people we've known or family or whatever. We've always had to spend time apologising for ourselves and I just love the idea of being unapologetically yourself. So that quote, I just loved it so much. I had to pick it out of the book. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really glad that resonated. And, um, it, you know, it's really surprised me how many – so when I wrote Invisible Boys, the kind of jock character hammer in that book, um, you know, a lot of people were like, God, he's a dick. And and it's probably particularly female readers were kind of like, you know, if there's a character I didn't like, it's Hammer. You know, they, you know and uh, what I found this time really curiously – is that a lot of female readers uh, loving Mason? Mm. They actually really get where he's coming from and, and what he's trying to say. Mm. It's um, interesting think, with Hammer though, because I didn't, I didn't dislike Hammer. I, I feel like I just didn't know the real him. Like all of that was a facade, you know. Mm. Yes, and and I think that's kind of why I wrote Mason mm. because Hammer, I, I, I kind of wrote Hammer trying to maybe begin to make a point about homosexuality and masculinity being you know in the same body and the same character and I think it got really misread for the last Mm. three years like I feel like a lot of people kind of saw Hammer and went yeah okay but he's kind of pretending to be someone he's not and if we could just accept that he's gay then he'd be you know dancing to Madonna and Lady Gaga at the court in you know Perth or I don't know what the version is here in Sydney (laughs) with the palms or something um you know and he'd and he'd accept that he's like just a big fag um, and I, I was kind of frustrated by that because I was like, okay, that's not what I was trying to say. Mm. And so with Mason, I've been a lot more conscious of, you know, Mason's journey. Like he's he's nice hammer <laughs> in a way. <laughs> nice um, hammer. He's nice hammer. The um, nice evil twin. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, exactly right. He's the, it, yeah, it, hammer's maybe his evil twin. Um, but uh, but Mason is kind of nice hammer. But he's, I, I was, I want to be really explicit with Mason of what I was doing. And I was really consciously trying to go, here is a guy who is um, an alpha male who's masculine, but he is attracted to men. He might be bisexual. He might be homosexual. You know, he's not really sure yet. But the point is he's attracted to men and uh, he's also a blokey guy. And unlike Hammer, who's trying to, like, use that to maybe stay hidden, Mason accepts that part of himself, but he also finds a way to accept his sexuality as well. Yeah. And both of those things are okay. And yeah. I, I just felt like that wasn't understood from what I was trying to do with Invisible Boys. And so in the brink, I wanted to make it really clear with Mason that, like, yeah. this is my point. Yeah. And I really like that conversation that you're starting because you're right. There are stereotypes about, you know, gay men, I think, when you said you were dancing at Madonna in the court. And you know, it's, it's interesting that masculinity has been linked to being straight. Like, that's so weird, right? Well, yeah, I think so. I guess I'm just trying to say, like, I'm not trying to, like, push a barrow, but I'm just, you know, two blokes, same time. That's extremely masculine to me. And yet somehow societally we've kind of gone, oh, if you two, if two guys do that, that's, you know, this really 
you know, mm-hmm. odd or effeminate or whatever thing. Because often when I would talk about this, maybe in the Invisible Boys era, um, people would kind of be like, why are you trying to stigmatize, you know, effeminate or camp gay men? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not trying to do that. Like, that's totally fine. Like, if that's who you are, if dancing to Madonna at the court is like what you love, fuck, mm-hmm. go for it. You're it's like, just about fuck. being your authentic self, right? No matter yeah. who you're attracted to, like, who cares? You just want to be your authentic self, no matter what that is. Exactly right. And I was trying to just kind of add to that and be like, look, that's great. And also this thing is great. And I think my argument was like the Masons and the Hammers of the world, Mm. I don't think have had mainstream representation that kind of goes, this is fine. Yeah. I think they've had a lot of, I I think I have a very little mainstream representation. And when they do get it, it's kind of like, well, that guy's a problem and we need to fix him. Mm. It's interesting though, when you're trying to give a voice to something, people immediately think that you're denigrating the other side. You know, so it's yeah. interesting when you try and give a voice to one thing, people immediately think you're against the other. It's not. You're just giving a voice to something that hasn't been given a voice before. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think what you're talking about is like symptomatic of the culture and maybe the era that we're living in mm. where everything is interpreted in like the least generous way possible sometimes. Yes. You know, like, like yes. there's that thing on Twitter where like if you tweet like, you know, I love apples, it's like, holy fuck, why do you hate oranges? This is complete, you know, pear erasure. You know, um, <laughs> You're cancelled, Holden. <laughs> yeah, I'll put that in on the public record. I hate oranges. I don't know. Really? Um, I, no, 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 no. They're fine. They're fine. they're fine? Not as good as apples, though. Not as good as apples and definitely not as good as pears. Um, oh, I'm not a pear person. Pears are weird. I do like eating a good, uh, a good uh, juicy peach. Um, I quite enjoy a peach. <laughs> um but no like i genuinely think we are living in an era where um no matter what form of you know if you're writing a book or you're doing any kind of art and you're trying to make a point um you'll kind of immediately encounter someone who's like yeah you know anything you know if you're feminist it's like oh do you hate men you know if you're you're advocating for men it's like oh are you misogynistic why do you hate women and it's like oh my god like let's let's please be a bit more generous to each other and i hope we can start to move you know away from the kind of yeah. um judgment and kind of let's tear this person down and but i think as well we're like everyone gets really easily triggered you know like everyone gets yeah. really easily and i'm not saying that as a critique i'm just saying it as a genuine thing like, mm. like there's people walking around who are like i don't know uh, like in my example you know like there's probably guys walking around who are like wow i feel really judged by people in my own life because i'm a really camp gay guy and i love dancing to madonna at the clubs and then the moment some you know bastard called Holden Shepherd gets there and says something about you know we need more footy playing gay guys and you know I feel really attacked and yeah. and so the 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 response is really waspish. Yeah. I don't think it comes from a bad place. I think it comes from a place of like you know, that guy has felt yeah. that guy has felt really judged and really shamed. But yeah, I'm just exactly. You know, yeah, and if, if you get to the point, there. and like we're just circling back to what we we're saying before, if you can get to the point of being unapologetically unapologetically yourself and I'm not saying being an asshole I'm just saying being uh-huh. unapologetically who you are and leaning into that and if people don't like it that's cool as long as your ratio of people who like you more is higher otherwise yes. you might have to do some self-reflection <laughs> yes it's like but- the um it's like the, there was like the discussion of like you know how Taylor Swift writes a lot of songs about um yeah. like break out with guys and then I, there was just like some something that came out at some point and everyone was like I look forward to her next track maybe I'm the problem and um and you know like I think that's the kind of thing like if you if you encounter people who you don't get along with you know that's normal but um 
maybe you know if you're the <laughs> i'm not saying taylor swift specifically but you know like if, if you're yeah if you're the if only 99 percent of people aren't really vibing you you might have to do some self-reflection yes, but if it's yes. one or two percent that's cool you can't like everyone yeah. did you know psychologically people will just there's one percent of people just won't like you because of your face did you oh, really? that? <laughs> because because they've known someone who sort of looks a bit like you or reminds you of a person oh. they, they haven't liked or has hurt them and so you can literally meet someone, 10% of people who won't like you because you remind them of someone else and they'll just hate you because of your face. So you can't wow. win. <laughs> I mean, how can you win with that? Like, how can you win with that? There's I'm no sorry, way it's just it. my face. Yeah. But, you know, there's no, yeah, wow. You can't do it. But all you can do is, like, if, if you feel like, you know, maybe I'm the problem, right? Like, I feel like all you can do is ask other people. Like, I actually find myself doing that. Yeah. You know, every now and then I'll be like, was that, a, yeah, like, I'll just ask someone, like, I was Ooh. like, was I really there? Was I actually, was Ooh. that too mean? Like, was I being an asshole? You know, yeah. like that whole, like, am I the asshole thing? Like, yeah, totally. I found myself just like checking, am I the asshole? And, yeah. you know, so far, I'm not usually. <laughs> <laughs> depends on who you ask. <laughs> depends on who you ask, yes. <laughs> no, but I think that constant um, self reflection is good, right? Because coming of age, I mean, I know mm. the brink, the brink is a, is, you know, has coming of age in it, but I think you're coming of age all the time. You know, mm. because you're always learning, you're always growing, you're always changing your perspectives. And, you know, you you outgrow people sometimes, you know, that you've had in your life and you meet new people. And I think that's all very kind of normal and, and is the evolution of who you are. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, um, I remember I wrote an article a few years back. I think it was when I turned 30 and I wrote an article about how 30 is the new 18. Um, for Channel 10, it was for 10 Daily. Um, I love that. And because I remember, because I was turning 30 and I was like really finding myself and I was like, do you know what? Our era, our culture, our generation, whatever it is, um, we seem to reach that point of maturity around 30 in a way that maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago, you know, you were 18 and it was like, you're an adult now, you separate off from you your family and you, you know, you forge your identity as an adult and off you go into the world. Um, but I don't think that happens in the same way now at 18. I think it happens in our culture closer to 30. Yeah, as it and, should, you know. I remember well, being 17 and the careers advisor asking me what I wanted to be and I'm like, I don't know. I've got no life experience. Like how do I yeah. know the job that I want to do forever? I don't know. <laughs> like, Yeah, and like it's, it's way too early to know your own mind or yourself. Um, but that's, I, I guess that's why the brink is what it is. Um, because it is these, these characters who, like a lot of us, you know, you build a certain persona up mm. and in a lot of ways it's, it's kind of unconscious, you know, cause yeah. it, it starts from such a young age and then it builds and it builds and you kind of, you end up going so far down a particular path. You're like, well, there's no point turning around now. Like I'm, you know, I've already built myself up as this perfectionist or this athletic guy or this really shy, terrified guy. I can't possibly break any of these mm. molds. Like, you know, it just wouldn't seem right and I wouldn't know how to do it. So you just kind of, you you make it more and more concrete the longer you do that. Yeah. Um, but the idea with The Brink is that, you know, especially with Leonardo, Kaya and Mason, who are the three point of view characters, they've all got this really like built up persona and they've, they've put that on to survive high school. And then, you know, when high school ends and like, if there's no one left to perform for, you know, the, mm. the friendship group is falling apart anyway. And, you know, in the case of the brink, you know, there's a dead body and that catalyzes the whole group falling apart anyway. Um, 
but you know when something like that happens you're forced to grow up and so to me that was the most interesting part of this book but also probably of life is when yeah. you are forced to grow up and shed the the kind of snakeskin of who you you were to please your friends or your teachers or your yeah. boss or and your you family. do you get pigeonholed you know you try and be something but then mm. your friends or peers they decide who you are you know and I noticed that in the brink too and it's really hard to break free of that and again uh, it just goes back to that Pluto quote of if you are unapologetically authentically yourself then it doesn't matter how people perceive you you know it's, it's, it matters how you perceive yourself yeah that's totally right didn't you did you ever find that I, I always found that really frustrating yeah that like like I especially friendships I used to have um and I'd kind of fall into the same patterns of friendship when I was younger of of people who would kind of be like well no no, no that's not who you are this is who yeah. you are yeah, I've decided yeah, yeah. for you uh, I want you to be like this and and the moment you try to step out of those boundaries you know yeah. people would kind of be like no 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 don't even try get back, back in your box <laughs> back in your box you little geek go on you know, it was really, it's actually really violent. Like, it's actually yeah. really fucked. Yeah. Um, but that's how I felt like a lot of the time. So, it's, you know, that's not real friendship. You know, real friendship's like, oh, okay, you're like this, are you? All right, mm. cool. That's mm. nice. I accept you. And, and even over time, like, I've had two friends, particularly since, you know, one since preschool, one since primary school, and they've seen 20 versions of me. And mm. they, they tell me they've liked all of them. I don't believe them fully, but they're still, <laughs> we're still very close. And I just yeah. think, how special is that? that people have seen and I've seen of them too, so many different versions of yourself and that's okay. It's not like that's not who you are. It's like that's okay. This is a new version of yourself because you've had new experiences, good or bad, and you've learnt new things and you've aged and whatever and you've become a mother, all that kind of stuff, all those things change you. And yeah. I think it's okay to evolve. Yeah, I think that's really nice. I, that Like that growth is like so vital to, mm. to who we are. And if you are, I think that's a mark, Danny, of healthy friendships. Yeah, like if you have totally. friends who are kind of like, oh, you have like this back. stuff? Yeah. yeah, cool. Great. Good for you. Like, well, yeah. I'm your friend, so that's fine with me. You know, like, like that's nice. That's really yeah. healthy. You can't um, replace that kind of friendship. Like that's, you know, that's, yeah. that's it. <laughs> that's the best yeah. thing you can have. And Someone who's got your back. I'm really big on that. People that have your back. Yes. You know, no matter yes. what you do, they've got your back. Yeah, but see, isn't this interesting? Because here we are talking about this, neither of us are teenagers, you know, but <laughs> but it's actually entirely relevant to uh, identity formation totally. and relationships and how we perceive our own self-esteem. Um, do you think being a teenager is so powerful that you still remember all those difficult things, all the ways you were perceived in high school, all the times people were mean mm -hmm. to you, the way mm -hmm. you had to put on a facade, like I think that period of time is so significant to shaping who you become. Like it's almost like you can't shed a part of that. What happens to you at school? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think you. I think it marks us no matter what, and I exactly. think we have to either. Yeah, we either have to try to resist it and shed it, or we accept it and and continue on in our lives exactly as we were. Mm. Um, and that's why I loved the voices in the brink because I just found them mm. so so powerfully authentic and i love what uh, that was one thing i wanted to mention i love your character voices i think you're always so mm -hmm. spot on in getting the characters pain in getting the characters perspective and you really you really have you, you know you're really with your characters the whole way and i think that's what makes your book so special because 
you know, that's why you, you watch anything, right, on Netflix or continue reading. Stories obviously are important, but it's about character because you want to see what happens to them. You know, you want to see the outcome of the characters that you fall in love with as you read the book. And I think you do strong, unique, authentic voices so well. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm really happy that that comes through in the brig. Um, mm. And it's what I try to do. I, I'm not... Um, I'm not super story driven. Like I am more character driven in my yeah. work. Um, you as can you tell, said. you know, yeah. I mean, your yeah. story is not lacking. Like it's an amazing story. I don't want to speak too yeah. much about it because I don't want to give anything away. I mean, you've said the dead body and you've said it's a thriller and you said it's a coming of age, but yeah. I feel like it's a kind of a book that you don't want to give too much away. I described it. I spoke about it on Booktopia the other way about what are you reading? And oh, I right. spoke, oh, cool. I, I spoke about the brink on their podcast and I described it, I think, as like an enjoyable punch in the face. (laughs) Uh, That might be my favourite description of it. An enjoyable punch in the face. An enjoyable punch in the face because from the first moment, that first prologue bit, you're like, oh, my God, this is going to take me on a ride. And it does continually, you know, and you've got these... Mm beautiful one-liners throughout, but again, they give you an enjoyable punch in the face. You know, for example, right at the beginning, you know, my mother's ashes don't talk back. Like that says so much in one line. And I'm such a word nerd, but I was like, you know, wow, he's lost his mother and you don't even have to talk about his pain because that line says everything, you know, and I love lines. I love one line that can almost write, say as much as a novel can, you know, and you had really powerful statements in there. And so I just thought, yeah, this is, this book is another enjoyable punch in the face invisible boys was like more me i've literally probably cried through the whole thing <laughs> this was like an enjoyable punch in the face <laughs> yeah do you know what? I, I i like that distinction because i think like invisible boys had this really like sad texture to it like it was heartbreaking it was it was traumatic yeah yeah it was traumatic and melancholy and it yeah. was pretty full on um and the brink has a different but and a different flavor you know what i mean it's like if yep. anything i think maybe like punch in the face is a really good word because i think the color is anger i think yeah. this book is like it, it's actually about rage and anger and mm. you kind of need to get angry enough to change yeah you know, like if, if you're going to ever break out of who you used to be you have to get so mad you do that you're like, yeah you're like fuck every like kind of like leonardo's trajectory specifically like yeah. he he really has to get to the point where he is willing to lose everything and he's willing to absolutely lose his shit. And it's only through getting really mad and expressing that rage mm. that he can actually become his his own self and, and really show that to the world. Um, and I think that's what this book is. I think it's an angry uh, – I think it is an angry book, but I think hopefully that anger is leading towards some kind of, like, empowerment or self, yeah, yeah. You know, self-actualization for not just the characters, but I hope the readers. I hope readers mm. come away from this book and feel like, yeah, like I could I could stand up to someone. I could do, you know, I could say to someone what I really think when previously I couldn't. Yeah. So it's an empowering love... book, I think, in that way. Yeah, I would like that, you know. If that was yeah. the outcome, Danny, I would really love it. But it's funny when you say that an angry book, like I guess there's anger in it, but for me it was more like a, a tough book with attitude, you know, mm. that did give you that kind of, buzz that you could be like yes you know because I've been on that journey for a while about just being unapologetically yourself and Mm. not apologizing and and being with other people who don't feel like they have to apologize for who they are you know and I love that when you can be with a group of people and you can just be your idiot self and that's okay you know I love that I love when everyone in a group can just be who they are no matter what that looks like 
Oh, it's the best feeling. And I'm, I'm used to it now. And like, you, if you've gone on that journey, you're probably used to it as well. Um, and, and so now I really notice when I'm not, like if I end up yeah. kind of randomly making, I don't know, falling into a group of mates somehow through some situation or going for drinks with people. And I'm like, oh yeah, cool. Let's do that. And then I kind of realize like, oh, these people are really, um, they're really emotionally immature. You know, like they're really, um, they're really shaming each other or, you know, mm. they're really. Um, or you feel judged in a way and it might just be you, you know, yeah. it might, I, I take that on. It might just be me feeling like people are judging you when, you know, you see yeah. before most people just actually are too busy with their lives. They don't give a shit about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is, can I say, such a freeing realisation. You know, remember in yeah. high school and you're like, oh, my God, everyone's talking about me. And you yeah. get to sort of, you know, hours, you're like, no one's talking about me because everyone's really busy and tired. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, like, it's true though, Danny, don't you? Like, I, I reckon there was a time when, um, I remember something, I don't know, various things happened in this industry and, you know, things happened. But I remember thinking of a particular author who was, you know, much more famous than me. I was like, oh, you know, this person must really hate me. And, you know, and then someone else was like, you know, that the, you're probably overthinking. This person probably doesn't even know you. <laughs> like, you know, you exist and you're, you know, you've blown this whole thing up out of proportion. Mm. Um, and I think that's really true. I think yeah. we do that all the time. Yeah. And um, you just take but, it from your own life. You know, like I know little kids and a job and, you know, the writing and the podcast. It's like I don't have time to think about anyone else's shit. Yeah. And you know what? Like I don't do – I don't ever. Like I don't actually kind of think – and then often I'll – because I'm really busy, especially when I'm on tour or something, right, and like someone – I don't know, I get lots of messages and I can't reply. And then yeah. I, I see people kind of freak out and go like, you haven't replied, like, I'm sorry if I offended you. And I'm like, no, I didn't, you didn't offend me. It's totally mm. fine. Like, I just, mm. I literally have not had time to see the message. Yeah. Um, and, and you seem like the kind of person that if someone did offend you, you'd be happy just to tell them. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I really, um, I know. <laughs> I don't hold back. If, if someone says something rude to me and, like, even if I feel slighted and, you know, maybe it's not justified, I'll be like, um, yeah, that's rude. Like, I'll just be like, yeah, that's rude. Um, and just kind of see where that takes the conversation. <laughs> and um, where has that taken the conversation on? Do you know what? Well, usually, like, so if I if I respond to something and be like, yeah, well, fuck you too, right? Like, that doesn't have the conversation anywhere meaningful, yeah. usually. But if I say something like, yeah, look, I found that really rude mm. uh, or I didn't like that, um, that actually often ends up going somewhere more productive. Yeah, like, I agree. Some, you know, like, and, you know, some people, sometimes people will be like, I was just joking. I'm like, look, that wasn't funny. That's not a joke. Um, well, but, some people but sometimes- say, oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't actually mean it like that and I shouldn't have said that. You know, like yeah. if someone is reflective about yeah. what they've said, like how can you hold that against them? We've all said stupid stuff at some point. Oh, yeah, guilty. We, we might <laughs> still say something really stupid in the next, you know, 15 minutes or so. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, no, but it's true. You know, I just, I, I, but I've often found that like the best thing and like, I didn't really grow up in an environment where people did that. Like I didn't grow up in an environment where you could just kind of be like, Oh, look, in, you know, in the moment in real time. Yeah. Um, I really like that. Sorry. Like, can you, can we work through this? Like that just didn't happen. It was like, either you destroy someone okay. or, or you go totally passive aggressive and you Holy don't bring and then once they leave the room, it's like you bitch about them and they're dead uh-huh. to you. Mm-hmm. And like neither of those things are really healthy. Like it's they're actually not. just a lot better to be like, "Hey, I didn't like that." And I yeah. think you know there can be the perception that if you do that, you're a bit of a cunt. Um, oh no, I dropped the word, Danny. <laughs> Great. Now I'm going to have to record a trigger warning in the beginning. It creates so much work for me, Holden. No, you can bleep it. You can bleep it. <laughs> How um, much if I can bleep it? 
Um, no, but you know, like I, I think culturally, and and that's kind of what the brink is about. It's kind of therapy, like Trojan horsed into a book, um, because it is about uh, being able to directly address stuff and actually stand up for yourself and express yourself and and assert yourself. Um, when culturally, I don't think we really tend to encourage that or support that. The question I ask all my guests, Holden, why do you write? Um, so why do I write? Um, it's a question that gets asked by um, a lot of people, of authors, of, of why we write. Um, and I think maybe with uh, the nature of the kind of books that I write, uh, Invisible Boys and Now the Brink, um, people think there might be like an altruistic motivation um, intrinsically, um, which I think there is in publishing the book, but when just purely for writing, I, I actually just write really selfishly. I write for myself. Um, it makes me feel happy when I write. I feel really, really happy when I have a Word document in my own space and I can do whatever I want in that Word document. That is incredibly freeing and liberating. And I've always loved that feeling since I was about seven, um, since I ever started writing. So I write because it makes me happy. Um, I write the kind of stuff I write because it's cathartic for me. It helps me express how I feel and it puts into words stuff that I'm feeling but I haven't had a chance to say or haven't worked out how to say it. Um, but then when it comes to, like, publishing, um, I, yeah, there there's kind of a, a motivation maybe of if I put this out into the world, people other people who have felt the same way as me, people who have felt isolated or weird, um, people who are misfits, people who are unwell mentally, who have been hurt a lot in their life, who have been traumatised, um, other people who are like that might read what I'm writing and might read my inner thoughts and my feelings and they might feel better. So there is as much as I want to write a good book and entertain people and just distract people and give them something to read. Um, I, I do feel like I kind of, a little part of me hopes that it will find my books and my stories will find people who are like me and who understand that need to be understood and connected to someone who gets them. And I hope my books can do that for them. So that, that is a little bit of a motivation in terms of publishing the stuff I've written. Holden Shepherd, it's always such a pleasure talking to you. I know we go on tangents and we talk about all sorts of things and you can't help but drop the C-bomb. But um, always a pleasure chatting with you. I loved The Brink. And thank you so much for spending the time. Um, Danny, you are awesome. Thank you so much for have, having me back on Words and Nerds. It's been such a pleasure, um, especially after being one of the two people who uh, obviously uh, trashed and ran amok on this podcast. Um, it's been very nice to be back and chatting with you again. Uh, so thanks for having me at me in the absolute world. And I'm really happy that you like the brick. Cheers. And thanks for everyone for listening.